0: Good morning, what a beautiful prayer and testimony that we have heard that we have sung this morning that they would know us by our love, by our love for each other, by our love for this world. You see, the to love one another culture of the New Testament church is a stark contrast to the devour one another culture of our world. And so we ask the question, what about our churches today? What about our families, our marriages? What about our workplaces? Do they resemble the love one another culture or the devour one another culture? Again, we're reminded of Jesus' new commandment. A new commandment in which he says that we are to love one another as Christ as he loved us. And over these last weeks, we have, we have been exploring and investigating and discovering what it means to love one another as Christ loved us. To, what it means to, to wash the feet of one another, to lay our lives down for one another. We've seen, especially in the letters of Paul, that to love one another means that we are to restore one another, to carry one another one another to to bear one another's burdens to serve one another to teach and to admonish one another to be kind for one another and last week again being reminded that to love one another means that we pray for one another today we look back into the book of Ephesians the letter of Paul to Ephesus if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We want to take this middle part of the chapter in two sections. And so we begin with the first uh, part of this second section of the chapter in verse 15. Paul writes, Therefore therefore be careful how you walk not as unwise men but as as wise and and i hope that you are aware and you are 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 astute in your study and reading of the scriptures that whenever you see the word therefore you want to go back up a few verses and discover why that therefore is there and so as we look up to about verse um, 11 that helps us to understand what the therefore is therefore Verse 11 says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Then verse 15, Therefore... Therefore, because everything, because all of your deeds, because all of my deeds will one day become visible, will be shed before and come to truth in the light, therefore, Paul is exhorting and admonishing us to be careful how we walk, not again as unwise men who, when the light of their deeds becomes visible, will suffer from the shame. Of that moment. But rather we're to walk as wise men, making the most of our time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Especially for college students, for, for teenagers, for, for young adults, to ask the question God, what is your will? What, what is the will of the Lord? What is the will of God for me? Paul is about to share what he understands to be the will of the Lord in verse 18 and following. You want to know what the will of the Lord is? Well, Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, that is waste. But rather, be filled with the Spirit. The will of God for each and every one of us is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And now he's going to describe what that looks like. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Colossians chapter 3. And in verse 16, Paul uses the same phrase with with one addition. Instead of saying speaking, Paul says to teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs so again it's the same principle what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God it means that, that we're aware that we we have God's Word in our heart that that the song of the Lord is within us and that we sing to one another we speak to one another we teach and admonish one another with these Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that's directed in, in our horizontal relationship with each other But then Paul continues here, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That that expression, that musical expression of of love and of praise moves from the horizontal to the vertical. And now, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? What does it mean to do the will of the Lord? It means that we worship God. We sing and make melody in our heart. There's, There's joy in our hearts. As we experience the Lord speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord in our hearts, always giving thanks for all that God has done for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are things that that fit together well, don't they? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? It means to have a a melody in our hearts as we talk to each other and as we worship God. It means giving thanks and being aware of all that God has done for us. And then in verse 21, remember that old Sesame Street song, one of these things doesn't belong here? You read this and you go, where did that come from? And be subject to one another. In the fear of Christ what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God what does it mean to do the will of God now again Paul's talking to the church he's talking to those that he gave that Jesus gave this new commandment to that we're to love one another as Christ loved us and what Paul says to us the will of God is is that we we speak to one another in song teaching and admonishing each other. We take that song and we worship God. We give thanks for all that God has done and we submit ourselves to one another. Let's take a few moments to really understand that and to to flesh that out this morning. What does it mean to be subject, to submit ourselves to one another? This word literally means to set yourself under. Under. The word be subject in the original language is is a military word referring to the authority and command structure of an army. To be subject meant to obey and to submit to and to recognize the authority of those above you. The opposite of submission in military is rebellion or mutiny, which would be a disaster for any army preparing for battle. And isn't it interesting that Paul introduces this word, this, this idea of submission. And then a few verses later in chapter 6, he talks about the spiritual battle that we're all about to enter and that we're to put on the, the, the armor of the Lord. I think that in the rest of this chapter, in, in this chapter 5, that, that Paul is advising us and preparing us to put on his armor. As he says that we must learn what it means to subject ourselves, to submit ourselves one to the other. As followers of Christ, we are to be subject to one another in reverence of the Lord. This is a fundamental feature of the kingdom of God when we willfully place ourselves under one another as we submit ourselves to God. This one characteristic alone illustrates the radical nature of the kingdom of God, and it undermines everything. This principle of submission undermines everything about the kingdoms of this world, this devour-one-another culture, which is based upon power, domination, and self-interest. You see, in this world in which we live, submission is seen as an act of weakness. And to make someone submit is often used as a weapon of oppression and even victimization. But in the kingdom of God, submission is an act of strength founded in love for one another and reverence for Christ. You see, to love one another means that we no longer need to grasp and fight for the right to control or dominate one another. Rather, we are set free from the burdensome demand to always have to get our way. You see, in Christ, we are not free to lord over one another, but rather we are set free to love and to serve and to be subject to one another. As such, some, excuse me, submission is an act of love, not a chore or obligation that we grudgingly take on. See, I've come to believe that submission is one of the most misunderstood and misappropriated teachings in our church, in our churches for it is often interpreted, it is often taught through the lenses and the systems and the structures of this devour one another world, not in the foundation of the kingdom of God. You see, submission in the kingdom of God can never be forcibly placed upon another, but rather is freely offered to one another as a result of being filled with the Spirit of God Again, submission in the kingdom of God is founded upon love, not upon power or fear of one another. Submission is based upon the example of and out of reverence and respect for Jesus who teaches us to love one another as He loved us. That is, we love and we submit ourselves to one another as we wash the feet of each other, as we lay our lives down for each other, as we ask the question of one another, how can I help, how can I serve you? In addition, submission... Is an act of self-denial that leads to self-actualization. Now let me define that. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34 and 35: If anyone, if anyone wishes to come after me, they must deny themselves and they must take up their cross and they must follow me. For whoever wishes to save their life will ultimately lose their life. But whoever loses their life for my sake and for the gospel will save, will find their life. You see, self-denial is not self-hatred. Self-denial is not self-contempt. Self-denial is not self-pity. Rather, self-denial saves us from self-indulgence. It frees us from the enslaving compulsion of our world that says that we must always fight to get our way. You see, submission in the kingdom of God liberates rather than oppresses. Thus... Self-denial does not lead to a loss of our identity. Rather, self-denial and submission are actually the secret to finding ourselves and living out our true identity as the children of God. Again, Jesus says, All people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's continue on in, in chapter 5, because this is obviously a, a passage that has, has uh, received much attention, and as I said earlier, I think much misunderstanding along the way. So I, I don't want to read the entire passage from chapter 5, verse 22, to, to chapter 6, verse 9, but I, but I want to read a few of the passages uh, there, and we'll start in the instruction to each one. For you see, biblical submission is taught in the context of mutuality. Andy Stanley, some of you have been reading the book Irresistible. I know some of our life groups have, and and I've had a chance to talk about some of the things I think are, are really good about that book and some of the things that I would say are challenges to that book. But one of the things that he says that strikes me, he says that the most powerful, transformational, relational dynamic on the planet... Let me say that again. That's a pretty powerful statement. He says that the most powerful, transformational, relational dynamic on the planet is mutual submission. You see, mutual submission describes the normative relationship of those in the body of Christ as we allow others to speak into our lives, even to the point of being subject to their instruction, their authority, and their admonition. Mutual submission is a healthy part of every relationship we share in the kingdom of God. Submitting to one another is as natural and commonplace as teaching and admonishing one another in song, as worshiping God and giving praise to God through our music, and as giving thanks to God, submitting ourselves to one another. Should fall in line with that idea and that practice. Think about this for a moment. The body of Christ, not fighting over who's in control, but rather living in harmony and unity with one another, respecting, serving, and helping one another in all things as we realize and accomplish the good works that God has ordained for us. That is, to love our neighbor. And to make disciples of all the nations of this world. You see, this is the life we're called to. This is the life we must practice together. This is the life that we must model in our homes, in our marriages. Realizing that people all around us are watching and looking. So let's look at this passage here in chapter 5. Wives, now interesting here, guys, your name's not here. It doesn't say husbands, tell your wives. It says wives, okay? It's written to the wives, it's written to the women, okay? Wives, be subject, submit, but, but I hope you've heard me say before, that verb's not there. It's added, it's why it's in italics in your scripture there. It's the verb that is appropriately drawn from the previous sentence, which tells us that to be filled with the Spirit of God, that we are all to subject ourselves to one another. We're all to submit ourselves to one another. So again, that verb is missing, so it pulls it down. Wives, to your husbands, as to the Lord. Verse 25, continuing the same thought. (laughs) Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Obey them in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers or parents, verse 4, chapter 6, do not provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Verse 5, slaves, servants... Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart is to Christ. Verse 9. And masters? Do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. There is no partiality with him. Now certainly there's lots, <laughs> there's lots of sermons in there. But what I want us to, to see and to look at is that Paul is saying in describing how submission should look in what's called in that day the, the household code. So here, here's what I would want to, to suggest to us. is Paul is, is teaching and admonishing the church and saying here's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God in working, talking, instructing, and in speaking to each other and worshiping God and giving thanks to God and in submitting to one another and where and how do we begin to learn how to submit to one another? Where do we need to practice that the most? Where can that example be portrayed and taught and passed on the most? In the home, (laughs) the household code. And so this is a structure it's seen throughout several of Paul's letters in which he described what might be a typical household. Again, Paul, not writing to a Jewish community, but to a Greek community, and describing what would be typical of the household and the home at that time and so he writes here's what it looks like here's what we can look what it looks like to submit and to subject ourselves in the home and and let's be reminded that even for paul to address women and children and servants is totally radical and revolutionary for his time because those three Groups in that culture had zero to no rights. And Paul is acknowledging and affirming, and affirming to them that in the kingdom of God, even women and children and servants have a place. And they are to be filled with the Spirit just like us, submitting themselves to one another within the body of Christ. Where do we learn today? to practice this revolutionary concept of submission. I believe it it must continue to be in the home. Notice the, the household code. Wives and husbands submitting themselves to one another. Children and parents submitting themselves to one another. Servants and masters submitting themselves to one another. You see, children learn to obey and submit themselves to the Lord as they learn to obey and submit themselves to their parents. At some point, children will discover the mutuality of that submission as they grow and as they understand the many ways that their parents submit to and sacrifice for and commit themselves not to exasperate their children. The child sees how their mother and father submit themselves to one another, not fighting over who is control, but rather seeing parents loving and serving Submitting themselves to one another as Christ has done for them. They see how their parents submit to themselves. How they see how their parents submit themselves to others in the workplace, to others in their church, to the governing authorities. And they see that life's not about getting your own way and life's not about being at the top of the power chart of who has authority over who, but rather that life Is about how one loves and serves another and this example for the child in the home then carries over as they develop friendships as they enter into the classroom as they ultimately find their way into organizations and jobs as they participate themselves in government and civil life all because they learn to obey and submit in the home, and they see that modeled by their parents. Oh, one of the important conversation I have, conversations I have with children is they, they come to faith in Christ, and as we talk about baptism, and as we talk about what's next in your life, is I remind them of this passage and say, oh, God has given you a beautiful gift in your parents. And their responsibility is to, to love you and to teach you. to show you how to grow in discipline and obedience to the Lord. And as a a new child in faith, that's that's your responsibility now. It's the way that you, you, you grow in your faith by learning how to do that because in learning how to do that, your parents are teaching you how to love and how to obey and how to submit yourself to God and to others. Where do we learn And where do we practice this radical teaching of mutual submission? Church, it has to be in the home. And it has to be carried out as we gather together in the church. As we learn what it means to submit, we learn that submission is a sacrificial act of love that frees us to become all that Christ desires of us. And that battling for control in our lives and battling for a a winner-take-all where a loser must submit in everything is not the picture of the kingdom of God. When we learn to submit ourselves mutually to one another in love, the result is peace. And the result is a depth of love and community in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, and our workplace that the world knows not of. Let me share an, an illustration, a, a pastor's story that I learned of. The pastor tells the story of a, what he described as a, a tyrannical husband. A tyrannical husband that demanded, he demanded, again, out of this, this worldly idea of power and submission, he demanded that his wife conform and submit to his rigid list of household chores and duties. In time, his wife came to hate her husband for the list of rules and regulations that were demanded and obliged for her to accomplish each and every day. He tells that as that relationship grew and as literally they grew apart spiritually, as they grew apart relationally, let, let stayed together in that marriage bond, that one day, unexpectedly, the husband passed away And amidst her own guilt, I guess, and and emotion of that and grief of that, the wife eventually came to feel she'd been liberated from this life of bondage, almost even slavery that she had experienced, and she felt this freedom was life-renewing and life-giving. And this widow was young enough that sometime later she fell in love and she married another man. She and her husband lived together together with great joy and happiness and meeting, she lovingly devoted herself to his happiness and welfare. And then one day, one day she was going through a drawer or a closet, a, a, a notebook or something. One day she ran across one of those sheets of papers with the do's and the don'ts from her first husband. And that old emotion, that old anger and bitterness and contempt welled up within her. But as she read that list, to her amazement, she found that what she was doing for her second husband was all the things that her first husband had demanded of her. Yet her second husband never once mentioned any of these things that she had been doing. What was the difference? The difference was love. Her first marriage was characterized by worldly submission based upon power and control, but her second marriage was characterized by a Christ-like submission that was based upon love. You see, the external acts may have looked the same, but the motivation and the expression from within made all the difference. And church, this is what it means to submit ourselves to one another, to willingly place ourselves Beneath one another, so that we might help and serve each other, so that the world will know that we are His disciples as we love and as we submit to one another in the reverence of the Lord. This morning, as we come to a time of reflection, as we come to a time of commitment in our own lives. I would ask you to reflect on three areas of submission in your life. First of all, have you submitted your life to God? Have you received His gift of life? Have you repented and confessed your sin and and repented of them? Have you received His gift of love, His gift of grace? Have you submitted your life to God? As as Paul would say, have you you become a new creation in Christ? Have you been born again, as Jesus would say to Nicodemus? Have you submitted your life to God? Secondly, have you submitted your life to to God's Word? Have you committed yourself to, to studying and to living out and to practicing the Scriptures? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll do as I've commanded. Have you submitted your life to this kind of discipleship and following of Christ? And lastly, are you practicing? Are you learning what it means to love one another as you submit yourself to one another? This is the characteristic of the church, of the families of those that follow after Christ. We practice submission at home, in our marriages, in our, with our relationships with our children and our parents. And in doing so, we learn more and more about God's love for us. And we deepen the love that we experience in our own family, in our own church, and with our neighbors. This morning, would you submit yourself to God, to His Word, and to one another as we, as we offer a witness to our world and community. Yeah. Of what it means to love one another let's pray father we thank you we thank you for your gift of life your gift of love and this morning this word submission is a hard word it's it's one that has been misinterpreted and misused and and been thrown down upon us in a in a devour one another culture a power-based culture in world that we live in yet father today i pray that we would see the radical transformational gift of mutual submission as out of love we place ourselves under one another so that we might love and serve and help each other lord may the world know we are your disciples by the way we do this And now as we stand to sing in just a moment, I would invite you to make those commitments. I'll be at the front. Our ministry staff would be here for those that would come. Deacons would be here to to pray and to nurture and to love you and to, to walk with you through some of these steps. You be faithful as we stand and sing. Amen.